Hey guys, it's Morshed and you're listening to Unhandled Exception Show. Today we are diving deep into overcoming information overload for software engineers with our special guest, Josh. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Oh, thank you for having me. Would you give us some insights in your background in software engineering? Yeah, absolutely. So I started uh, in software engineering uh, un unofficially probably about 16 years ago. I was working in a call center enrolling uh, Medicare and uh, Medicaid beneficiaries into an insurance plan. I was just bored to tears at my job. So I started to try and find ways to automate some of the repetitive tasks. So I started to teach myself programming as a way to just do something more interesting. And I found out that, oh, this is something that I find really enjoyable. So right. from there, I went, I went to school and I got my internship and I've been doing it professionally for uh, about 13 years now. So uh, my, 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 my uh, background has been in healthcare, actually longer than I've been in software. So I tried mm -hmm. to stay in a particular uh, domain so that I, uh, one of the things that newer engineers will find is you're, you're really solving business problems or it's not just, hey, go write some code and you know, you're creating something of value. There's a little bit more to it. You're trying to produce some, some predictable outcome, some, some benefit for somebody that you're trying to solve for something. So having a deep understanding of that ends up being really valuable when you understand the problems that you're solving as well. So mm -hmm. that, that, that's sort of how I've taken my approach is to, to blend uh, dom domain knowledge in healthcare with uh, you know, software engineering uh, expertise. Do you enjoy working for healthcare uh, over other I, industries? I love healthcare. It's uh, for all the reasons that people might hate healthcare. It's so expensive. It's really hard to get access to your medical records prior. I don't know if you're familiar with prior authorizations. They're they're a pain in the butt. So for all the reasons that someone might hate healthcare, th those are challenges and uh, obstacles and the things that I really tried to dig into deeply and try and fix. So for yeah, again, all all the reasons that a normal person might be frustrated with healthcare, th those are the challenges that make it interesting for me. Very nice. Um... How do you define an information overload in the context of software engineering, and why is it a significant challenge? Well, it really is a significant challenge, especially when, when you're starting out. So mm. depending on the size of your organization, you, you, might, you might stumble into a role where they're looking for a, like a full stack engineer. And you might mm. say, well, what's full stack mean? It, it means you're going to be you know, working on all layers of the, the software. So you might be doing the the user interface development. You might be the one that the backend service. You might be interacting with the database. You mm -hmm. might be pulling it to a cloud environment. So all these are really intricate skill sets that you can spend years and years trying to master. So uh, if you're just starting out, especially if you're trying to dig deeply or learn about a lot of different uh, specialized areas in, in technology it can really become overwhelming. So, so my, my advice there would be to really try and pick a subset of those uh, items and focus on those first, and then work work with the team that you're developing with and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to specialize in the JavaScript side if that's okay uh, for this project. Can someone else help out with uh, some of the HTML and CSS? Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, hey, you're pretty good with database, uh, with database stuff. Can you can, can you handle setting up the, the the tables and making sure that the you know the transactions run smoothly? So, uh, so you you, you do want to when you're starting out, you do want to touch on all the different areas so that you find mm-hmm. out what you're passionate about, what your strengths are, and just so that you know how to uh, collaborate with a team effectively. So for that reason, it is valuable to understand all those different areas, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you're just not realistically going to learn everything at once. So you you kind of have to pick and choose your battles a little bit. And for that reason, I would definitely recommend for folks, especially who are, who are uh, just starting out, to not get discouraged by trying to learn everything at one time and really try and try, try and learn one thing at a time and just recognize that it's just too much to learn all at once. Right. I think that a lot of people, uh, when they're starting out, um, struggle with which programming language they are going to choose. Um, there are so many out there. Um, and and um, well, I would like to hear your thoughts. My, my thought is it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, pick, pick the one you like. Pick the one that your organization or your team likes, and uh, maybe maybe don't use C for uh, an, uh, for business application development, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe there are some times when you don't need to be at the machine level trying to uh, write code, and you're making your life too hard by picking the wrong language. But as long as you're a little bit pragmatic about it. Uh, there, I would say there's really not a wrong answer. It's, it's more about the, the methodologies that live underneath all the programming languages. Are, are you following principled engineering designs? Uh, are you making sure that there's a single origin of truth, that your, that your classes and your methods have a single responsibility, that your code's maintainable, that it's well-written, that it follows styling guidelines, just, just the basics that transcend all the languages? There is really the things that I would advise folks to focus on. Totally. Are are there any specific lessons you have learned from overcoming information overload that we you wish you had known early in your career? Yeah, earlier in my career, you, you really want to try and prove yourself. Uh, so one, well, developers tend to be out of good nature. They tend to be overly optimistic, hmm. and they tend to. Uh, have they might have an oversimplified view of what a, the the production implementation of uh, of a software project might look like? Mm-hmm. So for that reason, they might be and they might be in a in a in a sprint planning session where where they're trying to say what they can deliver for for a given sprint or hey what what increment of work can we deliver in the next two two to four weeks? And developers. They want to look good, and they mm-hmm. might just through lack of knowledge or through being over optimistic they might they might i would say almost just as a rule of thumb, take whatever you think it's gonna however long it's gonna take and double it uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, like i like I, even to this day uh take take whatever you, the actual amount of time you think something's gonna take and just double it, and you'll find it's pretty close. And I've seen that work across many, many, many different teams. Yeah, I mean, I personally struggle with estimation, and I know how uh, challenging it would be uh, if I want to make my employer. Um, uh, I wanted to make myself look good in front of my employer, so I wanted to 
uh, get it done as fast as I can. But uh, I think your uh, your recommendation is just take as much time as you need to. Um, yeah, ultimately, hopefully you're in a team that's smart enough to know that, oh, uh, Josh looks smart because he said that it'd take him a week and it's someone else that have taken three weeks. But outside of that meeting, they're going to forget about that. And what they're going to notice is when that code goes to production, did it work? Did the QA team spend weeks uh, finding bugs in your stuff? Did you accidentally break something else? Did you forget mm. a major part of the requirement and thus setting back the whole project? So so uh, it's a little bit myopic to to just want to look good in that one session, even though we do have that sort of people-pleasing nature to ourselves where we, you know, we, we, when you have some project manager who's, uh, who frankly, they can oftentimes encourage you to uh, overpromise what you can actually deliver. And because that's what they want. They, they'll say, well, we, we need it by this date. So therefore it just encourages everybody to make updates that'll get them to where we're delivering when that project manager said they want the stuff delivered. So mm. it, it, having that, it's harder when you're newer on, but having that strength to say, hey, well, hold on a second. Is, is there an MVP that we can deliver? It's a little bit simpler. Mm. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't seem realistic. I, I, I don't think we can actually deliver it in this time. Can we, can we revisit the timeline? So th there has to be some openness there and having a good culture, I think is important in that, in that regard. I agree. Uh, it's important to kind of work in a very supportive environment where developers can speak up um, and uh, tell what they feel comfortable. Um, one question I have in mind, let's say I got assigned to a big feature and I know it's going to take me four or five weeks to deliver it. However, I don't know where to start. There's so many things I need to learn uh, and I'm just starting out uh, uh, in this new team. Um, right. How do you how do you tackle this if you are in my shoe? Well, this is where I would hope that, so depending on the size of your team, you might not have an architect who had, who had created the diagrams. So, okay. but, but putting things down in picture form, uh, put some circles and triangles and ovals down and dry, uh, draw, draw some arrows connecting your, your stuff, do some data flow diagrams, do some user uh, interaction uh, diagrams, mock-ups mm. of user interfaces. Just do it on pen and paper at first. Uh, circulate mm. that with the, the the person who you might call like a product owner or the person who really knows what they're trying to deliver and say, hey, here, here's what I'm hearing that you want us to deliver. Is this, mm. a, is this kind of checking all your boxes? So by having that, then you can begin to, to iterate and mm. uh, say, well, I need to deliver uh uh you know sub feature a and then you can begin to task that out so but uh and if and depending on the size of your team you might have a dedicated architect who's who that who's that's their role is to kind of make sure that the team has that documentation ready for them so that they know what they're building out beforehand but different teams that they don't have that as a dedicated role so it might be up to like if you're doing like a full stack development, you might be having to do all that stuff yourself. So uh, I would say break break down that big problem into smaller chunks and, and iterate on it. And that, that really seems to be a pretty solid approach. 
Yeah, I mean, um, that actually, I wanted to talk about it, about the specific tools and strategies. Um, that's definitely number one, just breaking it down, create some diagrams, even with, even with pen and paper, um, uh, then kind of go back to your uh, architect or lead, uh, go over the list of things you want to accomplish to make sure, uh, you know, both of our, are you on, are on the same page. Right. Yeah, and they'll really appreciate that. You'll, you'll, uh, and at least in my experience, I haven't seen a lot of developers take that initiative. They'll say, well, that's not my job. I, I can't create a diagram. Uh, I, I know that I get excited if I have a developer come to me with a diagram they created on a project they're right. working on. I'll be like, wow, you're really thinking through this problem. And it, it, they're going to be the kind of person that's going to put out higher quality work at the end of the day. So don't yeah, don't be afraid to uh, do something a little even if you don't see other people doing that, doesn't mean it's not a, it's a bad thing to try. I mean, it, uh, it might be a very simple question. How, what is your approach of creating a diagram? I'm assuming you use something like Lucid. Uh, to, uh, yeah. I like Lucid because, uh, frankly, you get a lot of uh, you get a lot of great uh, visuals that that are included. So, uh, but depending on the organization, you might be constrained to using their tool of choice. So, a uh, Visio is very common, and I. Uh, if all else fails, you can use draw.io. It's free. There's like a web version of it. So mm-hmm. uh, if you can get into the concept of creating swim lanes where you have your different actors and then you have the, the ability to write out process steps and then just write out how how do the different process steps interact with the different actors involved. Mm-hmm. So in, in the case of software, your actors might be, well, I have a database. I have a, I have a, a mid, a middle tier. I have a, you know, a, a API gateway. I, I have a, a firewall. So like th- those might be the different layers that get interacted with or not, depending on the, the process step. Uh, but you can always create diagrams at any level of clarity. So you don't need to take into account every single actor. If you have a simple flow that says customer clicks button, you can draw a black box that says do uh, you know calculate equation. You said you worked at uh, I think it was Experian, so I, I can imagine a very simple chart at Experian where someone said check credit score, and you could have a uh, depending on your audience a functional diagram that says they click this check credit score button. It, some code goes off into a black box and it calculates the credit score and it comes back and it displays to the end user. And that can be a three-step flow. And that's perfectly fine at, you know, right. the, at very high level, right? So depending on your audience, they might not want all the details. Absolutely. And that's a great way, a great way to present that to um, your manager or lead when you need more right. clarification. Like, this is how my diagram looks. That's my understanding. Is there anything I'm missing in the flow? Right, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, they're, they're finer grain skills. You know, you'll learn as you, you develop. Like uh, engineers or developers, they we're technical by nature. If you're talking with a, a you know like a senior director of products, mm-hmm. and you start using too many tactical terms, you're gonna confuse them, and uh, you're gonna have a miscommunication where. They're they're not going to be expecting those te- that technical level of details in their mind. They're like, "Oh, that's your job to figure that out." I don't Ooh. care about the technical uh, 
you know, nuts and bolts underneath. What are you going to deliver to me? Uh, how long is it going to take? How's it going to function? So it, it's sometimes actually inappropriate to uh, sh share that level of detail with with a different audience. Totally. Um, speaking speaking of um, learning a specific tech stack, how would uh, you approach that? Let's say you want to learn Python for automating stuff, but there there are so many Python libraries out there. Um, uh, what would be your approach when you're learning something new? Not like building a feature. In order well, to build, yeah. It, it, so I think it depends on if you're doing this uh, on your own or mm -hmm. if you're doing this as, uh, as part of a development team. I, I certainly wouldn't recommend for you, anyone to just kind of go off on their own and add a new uh, technical stack yeah. to, uh, you know, to, to your team. Mm. They're going to have to interact with that and they're going to have to maintain that at some point as well. So it really should be a shared agreement on what languages are used, uh, which libraries are used. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, if, if you're on your own, uh, I would say pick a project and pick something that you want to achieve and that uh, that the the language or the the technical stack that you're trying to learn seems well suited for and just start chipping away at it. You might find halfway through that, oh, I, I was using uh, I was using vanilla JavaScript, but now I want to now I changed to I wanted to be a node app instead. And that's mm -hmm. entirely fine. The, that's something that you learned while you're going through it, and you're still writing JavaScript, you know, throughout the whole thing. But you might have found, well, yeah, this is just better suited. Mm. So that that's okay as well. So uh, just being flexible, but uh, trying to prove, ha having something to prove that you learned it, and you can demonstrate that you had learned something through actually building something. I think is probably one of the better ways. So yeah, that makes theoretical. That's a great idea, Josh. And how do you decide which information is essential to consume and how do you filter out the noise? Yeah, so another uh, uh, great question. So so for, for this, I'll go back to sort of, sort of what I did in my career. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, the, if, if you take the mindset of, I'm going to be like, just, just recognize that you're not going to be expert level and everything so and and if you want to be a really high value contributor it's it can be more uh personally rewarding to be the de facto or be known as a subject matter expert in a smaller number of things than it is to be sort of like a jack of all trades hmm. so Picking those things that you decide that you want to specialize in, and even if you change your mind or you have to you change what you're specializing in uh, partway through, that's fine. But just uh, recognizing the value there and the limitations of trying to go too broad, and uh, working with your your team and uh, the other folks that you work with to say, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to specialize in this. I'm still, I'm still learning this. At this time, is it okay if I take on more of the project work that focuses that, that allows me to use this particular technology? And then for the information overload side, uh, the the other half of it is like what what are you building? So if you go from financial services uh, job to 
to something in healthcare to something in like chemical engineering. There, there's so much domain uh, or specialized knowledge and, and terminology that's not related to technology or uh, in engineering exactly, but that's going to have a, a big impact on how quickly you can understand the problems that you're trying to solve. So for that reason, I, I would highly recommend that folks uh, also be mindful of the, the information overload outside of the, 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 the technologies. So mm. like I did by staying in healthcare throughout my entire career, there's really complex uh, business knowledge that comes into play when you're developing software that it would be, it's entirely confusing for, to folks who haven't had the years of experience in that domain. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to learn all this terminology and all of these acronyms, because healthcare, for example, loves acronyms, uh, it's like you're trying to learn two different languages at once. So uh, you really simplify your life a lot if you, uh, if you can find a domain that you're pa passionate about, that you think is important, that you feel like has some staying power, hopefully. Uh, uh, that that way you're you're cutting down on the number of things that you're trying to you know learn at once. Yeah, totally. Are there any specific spe habits or routines that you found helpful in maintaining productivity and focus in your career? Yeah. Uh, so please uh, write good error handling. D do your unit testing. Uh, write good error mess. Uh, Write good, clear, concise error messages. Uh, that's something that if you're a new developer, you're like, oh, my code will never hit an exception. Or why, why would I want to handle this? I almost want your code to, like, you almost want to anticipate that the worst possible thing that you can imagine that can happen to your code is going to happen to your code at, at all points, at all points in time. So you, for that reason, you write very s simple methods. Yeah, you might be surprised to learn if you're newer that a big wall of complex looking uh, uh, programming code is probably not well written programming code at all. That's probably written by someone with uh, you know very little experience, mm. maybe a lot of creativity and a lot of gusto, but not they they haven't yet learned the the, the brilliance and uh, simplicity. So uh, really, uh, if you find something as it ends up being complex or it seems complex or if you show it to somebody else and it's not immediately clear what your code's doing, what the errors being thrown mean. Uh, if it, if you're trying to execute your code and you're like, why isn't it working? That's a huge red flag mm. because that tells me that your code is too complex, that you didn't focus on creating simple, reusable components and that you're, you're fundamentally uh, you know, setting yourself up for a lot of complexity and you're, you're, you're not in the routine of iterating and simplifying your code. So your, your good code almost looks so simple that it, it's like, it's, it's almost the opposite of what you expect, especially when you're starting out. Like, uh, oh, like, you know, you have 20 years of experience. Why are you writing such simple code all the time? It's like, well, no, it's because that, that person really knows what they're doing and they know enough to write simple code. Yeah, I think the wisdom we can get out of this is, uh, you know, write write simple code and unit test, uh, write a lot of uh, good error handling and exceptions uh, to ensure, you know, if something goes wrong, you can, uh, um, you know, you can troubleshoot accordingly.
Yeah, and, and you'll learn while you're writing your unit test, if your code's too complex, your unit testing will be really hard. So that'll really encourage you to write your code simply. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and use, use tools to help you out too. Uh, nobody's perfect, but if you can use one of those code coverage analyzers that says you have 60% uh, code coverage and you set a target and you're kind of religious about hitting that target, I want to always have 90% code coverage with my unit mm. test. Then uh, you, you don't have to just rely on yourself. You, uh, you can just set it and make sure you make it a habit to hit that, hit that benchmark every time. Great. Well, as we wrap up our chat, uh, what wisdom would you like our listeners to gain from this episode? Do, do you have any uh, key takeaways you will you like us to get away from this episode? Yeah, the, the, the one and it's something that no one, uh, I didn't hear a lot about. So a lot of folks should be like, they're going to try and teach you about engineering principles and stuff like unit testing and all that stuff's really important and foundational. But I, I, I would say that it's really important to find uh, a domain or an industry that you stay in within software and to focus on that and to find something that you're passionate about. Uh, if you can get yourself in the mindset of, I'm actually out there working to solve real important problems that real people face, and this mm -hmm. is exciting to me, you'll be, you'll be doubly motivated. You'll be motivated not only by developing your skills as an engineer or as a programmer, but you'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll be passionate about the actual problems that you're solving. So therefore, you'll think more deeply about what it's like to use your software. Why am I doing this in the first place? You'll have a little bit more pride in your work. You'll put a little bit more polish onto the mm. stuff that you create. And, and you'll anticipate things that before they even come up because you're, you're already thinking in that mindset. Uh, and it, it has a lot of other benefits as well. So th that's what I would encourage folks to do, uh, as, as, uh, e even especially as the, the, uh, the AI assisted code development tools mature, they'll, they'll never be able to f uh, fully just write code and just, at least in my opinion, but, uh, but in that type of world, having that domain knowledge, I think will become even more important. Great. Well, thank you, Josh. Um, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. No, thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, invite me back sometime if you'd like. And hopefully we're able to help some folks get into the field and really enjoy what they, uh, you know, really enjoy developing. Absolutely. And to all our amazing listeners, uh, your support means a lot to us. If you enjoyed today's show, please hit the subscribe button. Plus, for exclusive update, don't forget to sign up for our new email newsletter. To do so, simply click the newsletter sign-up link in the description. We are very excited to have you on board and wishing you a fantastic day ahead.